In today's show, we're talking Washington Wizards, their season coming up. What we can expect from this team that has undergone drastic changes. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd. I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore bball, on TikTok at redrock underscore bball, and on Instagram at redrock underscore, oh no, Instagram's at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Apologies for that. Today's episode is brought to you by Fangio Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fangio.com slash locked on today to get started. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. You would have heard the announcement over the weekend for the uh, FBI Fantasy Basketball International and Locked On Fantasy Basketball World Cup. Go check out that episode on the early Yahoo rankings across the weekend to hear more details about that. We're going to be doing entries for that. Not going to plug that too much on this show. We are going to be doing entries for that over the next few weeks. We've got a bunch of spots to fill, and I'm excited to see you guys in there. So just keep an, an eye out, an ear out for the other the other entry stuff that is going to happen for the FBI slash XLOFB Fantasy Basketball World Cup. But now we're going to talk about the Washington Wizards so we might as well talk about the Washington Wizards. It's it's his first time on the show. Welcome. One of the hosts of the Locked On Wizards podcast, Brandon Scott, is here. Brandon, welcome. Hey, how's it going, man? It's good to have you here on a very early Saturday morning. I'm recording this here for me, but that's that's fine. We're, we're ready to roll. We're just getting through all these team previews, and this is one of the most interesting teams, I think, uh, in the NBA just because of the massive amount of change that is, the, the team has undergone. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that means for the franchise, but let's just have a quick look at how things look in terms of players in, players out. Jordan Poole's here. Tyus Jones is here. They drafted Bilal Kalabali. They acquired Danilo Gallinari, which honestly I think most people don't know about. Landry Shamet's there, Mike Muscala, Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin Jr. Okay, keep going. And then the guys they lost, Porzingis, Beal, Monte Morris. That's three starters from last season. Jay Huff, Jordan Goodwin, Kendrick Nunn, Quentin Jackson. I could probably also keep going on that list as well. Now, the common theme, Brandon, or the common idea is, well, Bradley Beal's been traded. We don't have to rehash contracts and all that sort of That's all they've done. Porzingis is gone, who was their best player last season. Um, Monte Morris was their starting point guard. He's gone. But while that might make it seem like this is an absolute tear down, full rebuild. Jordan Poole's a pretty good player. Tyus Jones is a pretty good point guard. They brought back Kyle Kuzma. I don't think they're going to be as bad as people think they are. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's going to be a competitive rebuild. You know, you already mentioned it. Jordan Poole, who I think is going to be a future all-star, if not an all-star within the next couple of years. Um, Kyle Kuzma coming back provides a lot of leadership for this team. And there's a lot of intriguing young players. Like you, you already mentioned at uh, Bilal Kulabali. But um, with this being the contract year for Denny Avia, we're kind of looking at maybe he could have a breakout year. Uh, we're looking for Kyle, uh, or uh, rather Corey Kispert kind of take that step. And Johnny Davis, um, you know, obviously he has a few people hitting him on the depth charts. But after the deadline, when a lot of these veterans are going to be moved, you could see playing time for Johnny Davis. And it's very intriguing to see if he takes that step forward. So it, it's a very intriguing roster. You know, like I said, you have vets, you know, like Mike Muscala, uh, Landry Shemette, who kind of placeholders for 
rookies right now or young players in Johnny Davis and Bilal Koulibaly. But after the deadline, you're going to see a lot of minutes open up. And so it's going to be a very intriguing year. But it, it, it's funny because we're going to be – we're not going to be a very good team, but it's going to be fun to watch. It's very, you know, Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma can score. So it's going to be very fun to watch this year. I think the pink, the point you bring up there about the deadline is really interesting because the way it's currently constructed, this team is not that bad. There is glaring depth issues in terms of who the hell is the backup center. But if guys do get moved, whether it's Tyus Jones or whatever they decide to do, and Gallinari, yeah, obviously a key piece that could get moved, honestly, before the season even starts, like that'll open up a lot of stuff for them to be much worse. But they did lose good players, but they didn't replace everybody with bad players. And that's what's going to make it an interesting team early on in the season where... I'm not sure they'll be exactly like we thought the Utah. We thought the Utah Jazz would be terrible last season, and they surprised us early on. Not sure the the Wizards will be exactly like that, but I wouldn't be shocked if Poole come and Kuzma come out and and Tyus Jones is able to set things up because the team is well. We can look at some teams and talent drain. I think it's like not not terribly constructed in terms of the pieces fitting together. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely, um, me and my co-host both think they do need a consolidation trade. I don't think it's going to happen before the season. I definitely think uh, at the deadline you could see Tyus Jones being moved. Um, Mike Muscala, stretch five, isn't necessarily the answer at backup center because um, you mentioned it. Daniel Gafford, I'm a big fan of him, but, you know, is he the center of the future? It remains to be seen. He has his uh, deficiencies. You know, he's kind of one-dimensional as far as the modern-day center. You know, he hasn't really developed a, a long-range shot, a mid-range yet. But I think the difference between this team as opposed to teams in the past is that we have flexibility. You know, Kyle Kuzma is a very team-friendly contract. You know, he could be moved down the line, if not this deadline, if not next year, for assets. You know, for the first time in a long time, we are not tied down by a major contract. You know, whether it was John Wall's extension, whether it was Bradley Bill's Supermax contract, we're not tied down. You know, we have a lot of options to either, you know, trade or even build around. You know, Jordan Poole is intriguing because – he is a player that I believe we can build around. And if not him being the guy, he's definitely part of the foundation for a team, you know, to be built into a contender, uh, excuse me, a contender here in D.C. So, you know, like I said, it's a lot of moving pieces. But at the deadline, I think we're going to get a much clearer picture of the roster going forward because, you know, you know, we said it. Tyus Jones, I believe, is going to be moved. Landry Shemez is definitely going to be moved. Uh, Danilo Gallinari, I think they're going to try to get his value up and then try to move him. And Mike Muscala could be on the move also. And that could bring us more picks, more young players. So, you know, with this new big three in the front office, um, we just there's a lot of optimism that hasn't been in D.C. for a long time when it comes to the Wizards. One of the other things about the Wizards is I believe entering the season, there's no one who is suffering any injuries at this point. Danilo Gallinari obviously didn't play at all last season, but we're – over 12 months removed from his ACL injury. So everyone is is ready to go and and healthy and fit and, and rearing, which is awesome. Now, your projected starting five is the one that I think is going to be the starting five as well. Tyus Jones, Jordan Poole, Denny Avdia, Kyle Kuzma, Daniel Gafford. Now, there will be a lot of people out there, Brandon, who think that Corey Kispert will start over Denny Avdia. There'll be a lot of people out there who think that Bilal Kalabali will start, which I think is 100% wrong. There is zero chance that Bilal is starting opening night. That's just not going to happen. I can see between Denny and Corey as a battle, but to me, having Corey Kispert an offensively, oh, sorry, a defensively challenged scoring shooting player between uh, Jordan Poole, a defensively challenged offensive scoring shooting player, and Kyle Kuzma, a defensively challenged offensive scoring shooting player, is probably not a great combination. So you put Avdir and Gafford to hold down the defense, Kuzma and Poole, 
to do the scoring and shooting and Ty Jones to do bits and pieces of everything. I, I think it's that that is it's what I was talking about earlier about a balanced starting five. And while you might say that Kispert's got a better upside than Avdia, I disagree, but people might say that. I just think the fit there doesn't make a ton of sense to have him starting over Denny. Yeah, I totally agree. Because if you look at the NBA as far as value, defense is at a premium right now. If you look at the fact that Marcus Smart, they got two first-round picks for him. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at the Gobert trade, which pretty much reshaped the NBA as far as value in trades, you know, he got a solo because he is a defensive player. So that's a big reason why I put Denny in there as opposed to Kispert because, you know, Denny Avia, you know, defensively, he's shown that he can lock down premium players in the NBA. Now, obviously, his big shortfall is – working on his offensive side of the game, which, you know, he needs to improve his three-point shot. You know, and he needs to work on finishing through traffic, and he needs to work on his left hand. But, you know, that adds another dynamic to this team that if Denny Avia can find, you know, finally have that breakout season, they're, they're going to be better than advertised. I don't think they're going to be a bottom team in the East. You know, they're not really trying to get a playoff position, but they're going to be very competitive. And this rebuild could be shorter than imagined. Yeah, I think that I, I think that that's not. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be shorter than imagined, but it gets them on a better path than where they were before. They still mm. they, they do need to be bad because yeah, ideally after especially after the news today of Cooper Flag reclassifying to twenty twenty five NBA draft class, which was always on the cards, but this is a, an unbelievable level prospect. If you can get a top pick in twenty five or twenty six, like that really sets you up because there's going to be two blokes in twenty six and, and Flag in twenty five who are going to be awesome prospects. They need to be able to get a top pick there, but. They've also got guys here who are, who are solid enough, who are young enough in, in pool as well, who's only 24. He's in three years' time. Four years' time, he's in his prime. Like, he's 28. Like, that's that's banging prime territory. We'll see whether yeah, he remains here that long. But this is... Yeah, and Avdia's 24 as well, and yeah, Kispert's 24, and yeah, Davis is 21, and Bilal's 19. Like, there's a bunch of guys here who are going to grow into that next three- to four-year period. Um, I'm, I'm, I think it's, it's well-known that, you know, what Jordan Poole is and what he isn't, but... I think what people don't also realize with him is he has had stretches of being a pretty good passer, and I think he's going to put up some pretty big numbers. Who do you think, between Poole and Kuzma, will lead the team in shot attempts per game? <laughs> That's a really good question, because I think the ball's going to be flying with those two in the lineup. Um, I'm going to say Kuzma. And, I, and the reason I say that is because he knows how to utilize his size. If you look at his size and his ability to drive the lane, and I get it, Jordan Poole, you know, he's electric with the ball. He can score, he can pass. But Kuzma with that size, you know, and there's a reason why they call him Clutch Kuz. You know, he's, you know, the shot against the Detroit Pistons. You know, he's money with the three-point shot. So I'm going to say Kuzma, but it's very close because you best believe between Kyle Kuzma and Jordan Poole, they're going to shoot the ball a ton. Last season, in terms of just on a per-possession basis, Kuzma had the edge, 24.4 versus 24.1. Kuzma had to play with Beal and Porzingis. Poole had to play with Clay and Steph. So they're both moving into a different territory here of being either the one or the 1A or the, the one or the two option. And we'll see how that works out. It's going to be a, it's going to be a battle to watch for sure to see which guy can get up as many shots as possible. But they are going to be really interesting players and pretty useful players, I think, for fantasy. Um, let's We're going get, get to get into your rotation in a second. But before I do that, I'm going to tell you guys about FanDuel Sportsbook because that's who's bringing us today's episode. Football season has kicked off and FanDuel is here to help you give that get that chance to win all season long. And right now, there is an awesome offer. When you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time that they win in the regular season. Now, Brandon, I'm not sure if the Commanders have any shot at winning the Super Bowl. So maybe placing a Super Bowl winning bet on the Commanders doesn't generate you a huge amount of bonus bets, but... 
another NFC team that might be in the same division. If you put a bet on the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm sure you love hearing that the Eagles are Super Bowl contenders. The bonus bet you can get back from them might be really, really big. And use those bonus bets on spreads and money lines, player props, over-unders, whatever it is, you can use those bonus bets. So visit fanjulcom slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's fanjulcom slash locked on. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. All right, sorry for the unnecessary shots at the commanders there, uh, Brandon, but you know, get better. <laughs> it's going to get better. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Dolphins fan that's dealing with not winning playoff game for 30 years. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see where that ends up going. Um, <laughs> the rotation. It is, it is hard to work this out. And this is how you think they're going to open up opening night. Dylan Wright, Landry Shamit, Corey Kispert, Patrick Baldwin, Mike Muscala. Now that does not include Bilal Calabali. It does not include... Johnny Davis. It doesn't include Ryan Rollins. It doesn't include Danilo Gallinari. And they are all legitimate chances of getting rotation minutes. And I think it's just going to be back. Look, Shamit gets injured a lot. Dylan Wright has a lot of problems with injury. Um, Mike Muscala is older. Who knows going to be, who's going to be around? But there is a lot of depth. There's like eight eighth men on this team, probably. And they all can get opportunities. Now, Bilal will get into the rotation and Davis will get in there. But there's, you, there's no argument for anyone to tell me that Delon, Shamit, and Kispert aren't better than those players at this moment. Yeah, and I, I think that's the part that's kind of tricky is that I kind of look at this upcoming season as far as his rotation is, you know, be, before the trade deadline and after the trade deadline. Because, you know, obviously looking at, the you know, your starting five, Tyus Jones going into the season will be your starting point guard. But I believe that after the deadline, Jordan Poole will be that guy at point guard. And it'll, it'll free up minutes that you, you could see Kispert at the two, uh, in. So there's a lot of variables, um, but you, you mentioned it um, with the four on the second unit. You know, Patrick Baldwin Jr. is intriguing, but you could see Gallinari. It, it remains to see him coming back from an ACL um, surgery, you know, how effective he could be. But he could be slid, uh, slid into the second unit ahead of Patrick Baldwin because, you know, they want to get value for him. They want to showcase him to teams, um, to contending teams at the deadline. So you could see that change, but it's tricky because Landry Schmidt, um they're definitely going to get value for him. He's holding the place for Johnny Davis, in my opinion, at the two. Corey Kispert, until they move Tyus Jones, is going to be on the second unit. But, again, after the deadline, you could see Kispert slide into the starting unit. And I think Bilal Kolobali, you'll finally see him get minutes. But I think that's the biggest thing before the trade deadline is that the Wizards are going to try to showcase a lot of these veterans to try to get assets. So to really get playing time for Bilal Kolobali and Johnny Davis is really going to be in the second half of the year. Um. A couple of things with that. I normally had to test the idea of showcasing players for trades because these are NBA GMs. They know who players are. We know how they perform. But in this case, Gallinari's coming off a torn ACL. He's 35. I literally have no idea. He might be completely done. It is worthwhile getting him out there because I honestly have no idea at the age of 35 without playing a season due to an ACL he just might be finished. So you do actually need to see him on the court. It might be a detriment to the Wizards. He might get out there and you go, oh no, like he can't even move even worse than he couldn't move before. And one of the strengths he developed in his 30s was getting to the rim and drawing free throws. And maybe that is gone as well. That's a distinct possibility. I also, I know Landry Shemitz, you and your team. Yeah, look, get get ready. He's terrible. And you got to see him playing. You're going to go, oh, get, get, this, get this guy out of here. He is really, really bad. But speaking of, oh, that's rude. I was going to say, speaking of really bad, how was Johnny Davis as a rookie? Because he sucked for the majority of the season. But let's put some context on it, Brandon, because at the end of the season, yes, everybody was out. And that is that is true. So somebody's got to get shots. Corey Kispert was averaging like 20 a game over the final five games, I think it was. But Davis did show some signs of improvement. So not to just heap on how bad of a draft pick or how bad he was as a rookie. Let's talk about the things that Johnny Davis can improve this season. Yeah, I mean, defensively, he's solid. 
You know, he, is he a yeah, shutdown yet? Yep. Not yet. But defensively, he, he can definitely defend at an NBA level. With him, is confidence. Kind of like Denny Avia and really most of the young players is a confidence thing. When, when he's a confident player, you see a totally different Johnny Davis. And, and another thing to kind of look at is that his first year at Wisconsin, you know, he had a slow year. His second year, he, you know, he picked up the speed of the Big Ten, and he was a completely different player. So looking at his rookie year, you know, his, his you know, the beginning of the year was just, it was hard to watch. But, you know, he went to the G League, you know, he got some playing time. Uh, he figured out the speed in the NBA, and the confidence really shows. You know, when he's confident, it shows, you know, that a score, because I think he's that score coming out of Wisconsin. But, you know, he's got some things to work on. You know, he, um, he's not going to blow past defenders, so he's got to be more savvy as far as his footwork and his dribbling, because, again, he's, he's not, he's not going to blow past anybody. So for him to be that score in the NBA, he's got to be a little savvy. And I think I, this is, uh, someone I'm kind of compared to, is, it's hard to compare him, but – um, like Dwayne Wade. I'm not, I'm not saying he's gonna be like Dwayne Wade. No, I can't wait. Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wade was never really like a real fast guy. He was savvy. You know, he knew how to use his speed to his best advantage, and he just made a, a Hall of Fame career out of it. So, you know, Johnny Davis, he definitely needs to learn the footwork of the NBA because the speed just isn't there. Yeah, that was my concern with him coming out of the draft is that a lot of what he was able to do was a little bit of bullying against college opponents and I just didn't know what he could hang his hat on to do anything offensively in the NBA. He shot horribly at NBA level. Part of my worry with Davis is you look at his G League numbers and and they're also bad and, and that's a little red flag. He would average 12 points a game and shot 33% from three. He only took four three-point attempts. There were Again, there were signs at the end of the regular season in the NBA where he looked a little bit better but he was pretty bad even in that G League. But this is the, the list we've got up on the screen here, the list of players under the age of 23. And there's a few of them. Denny Avdia, Johnny Davis, Bilal Kalabali, Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin, and Tristan Vukcevic. I want to start with Vukcevic because at the moment he is not signed. What is the plan? Well, I think that a lot of it has to do with his contract over overseas. Now, he one thing that kind of impressed me about him was the fact that he wanted to come over here right away yeah. and start working with the team and start getting – so, you know, he's – He's very intriguing a prospect because if you look at his size and his offensive capabilities, you know, he can definitely be a diamond in the rough. Now, the biggest thing with him is that, you know, he's really got to work on the defensive end. He's, you know, during summer league, he did show promise. You know, he, the effort is there, but he's got to learn the footwork of the NBA game and how to be a center. You know, because overseas, he's more, you know, you're a little loose with, you know, being a scorer with his size. But in the NBA, you know, to go against the Aitons, you know, the Embiid's, he's going to have to learn how to play with his back to the basket and really know how to defend these bigs. But he's very intriguing. I think he's definitely a sleeper as far as the young Cavs because he's got this, the tools there offensively. Yeah, he which, does. You know, he oh, does. absolutely. He fits into the modern-day NBA big. So that's what I like about him. He's seven foot tall. He can shoot the ball. He didn't shoot well at Summer League. The defense is a problem, but like we've touched on a couple of times, the backup center on this on this team is a disaster at the moment. Like It is Mike Muscala, and the other option at the moment is Anthony Gill, I guess, and both of those guys are not good. And oh, no, that's true. Muscala is a pretty good player, but he's 32 and he's not a part of anything that you're trying to do. Daniel Gafford, I think, left for the locker room in about 20 straight games last season at the end with an ankle sprain, returned the next game, but did that, had foul trouble, so you can't play him 36 minutes. That's just not going to happen. So, yeah, tying all of that in, this is not necessarily talking about these young guys, but like, are we going to see, like, are we going to see Kuzma center lineups? I, I think we might have to, or even you play Denny Avdia and just go super small. Well, that's definitely an option, playing Kuzma as small ball center. I think that is an option that they kind of need to look at because Daniel Gafford, again, I don't think he's the center of the future. Now, I do like Gaff, but, he, you know, he has the same issues, you know, you know getting into foul trouble, mm -hmm. uh, being very limited offensively. You know, he has to be kind of 
spoon fed from, you know, a point guard who can, you know, kind of push the pace. And, you know, he kind of worked on a mid range to a certain degree the last 10 games of the year, but he's, he's far from being any kind of like a dependable shooter, but it's, it's going to be tricky to see how the center position unfolds going forward with the wizards, because, you know, next year is a very forward heavy draft, you know, outside of Bradshaw out of Texas, there's not a lot of centers in the, you know, that can come in and make that impact right away. You know, they could make a move to maybe a disgruntled guy, maybe a Deandre Aiden. That's an option, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do center wise, because, you know, again, Daniel Gafford, just, he's not that guy, you know, in a rebuilding team. Yeah. But if you, if they're serious about bidding this into a contender, they're going to have to make a move as the center position. I think Daniel Gafford's fine, actually. Like he's he's about to turn twenty five. He's not old, but I think there's no reason to me that Daniel Gafford can't have a career that has an impact similar to Clint Capella. That's not a great center. That's not a high usage center. But I don't, you don't need it. Like I don't think you need that with with Kuzma and Poole taking shots. And you hope that Bilal turns into a two way guy who can be an offensive guy and a defensive guy. And Kispert becomes an offensive guy. And you get another offensive sort of weapon in the draft. I, I don't think you need someone who's going to be like I just you know throwing the ball and he gets twenty playing at the center position. I, I don't think you need that with Gafford. I, I think as long as he can stay out of foul trouble, I think he's going to turn quite a few heads this season. And again, he's not even 25 yet. And he can, so he can sort of grow with the Kuzma, uh, not, not Kuzma's older, but with, with Poole and Avdia and, and all these younger guys, he can grow, become a prime player at 27. And I I, I wouldn't be giving up hope. My, my problem is that when he gets into foul trouble, they're cooked because the guys behind him are absolutely terrible. The guy, one of the, the two guys I got from the Warriors, not Jordan Poole, Ryan Rollins and Patrick Baldwin, I'm really interested in them. I think Ryan Rollins is going to get rotation minutes at some point this season. Brandon, maybe that is when Tyus Jones is traded or they trade Dillon Wright, who's their backup point guard. But I'm really interested to see what Ryan Rollins can do. Has there been any buzz around the team about him? There is. Um, they're very impressed with him in Summer League. And I think he could be the backup point guard of the future. You know, he showed in Summer League that he can shoot. He can't push the pace because... The biggest issue that we had last year, you know, defense, three-point shooting, but, you know, nothing was pushing the pace. You know, if you look at the last two years, we had combo guards that we were trying to turn into point guards who were just very snagged in offense. You know, Spencer did what he slowed the offense down. And, you know, Monte Morris, he had a little speed to his game, but, you know, we're, we're kind of spoiled here in D.C. You know, we, we had John Wall for 10 years and then Russell Westbrook for years, so we're used to having a point guard who can push the pace you know, penetrate the defense, really collapse the defense, and really utilize shooters on the outside. So I think that Ryan Rollins is, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I like the kid. I think he's going to be a really good basketball player. But Patrick Baldwin Jr., I mean, his shot is, mm. is smooth, smooth as silk. It is. It just hasn't gone in for two years. I hope it does start to go in because it didn't go in in college. It didn't go in in the NBA last season. But you're right. It does look good. He has a few little flashes. He's He's the second tallest player on this team, I think. Maybe he's like six foot eleven. Um, he's really he is an interesting player. And yeah, you know, as we talk about earlier about Kuzma being traded, he's you know, twenty eight, and maybe he gets Matt dealt. That that would be because Avdi has stepped up or Baldwin has stepped up because yeah, Baldwin if if it works out, and, and I do think I think he's an okay player, but I'm not sure he's ever going to turn into a great player. But that's really strong, tall, shooting, power forward, who you guys just had one of those who turned in the best season of his career and ended up uh, in Boston after this year in Chris Dapps, Porzingis, not to say that Baldwin's that guy, because he's, he's not, but that tall, shooting, power forward archetype is exactly what he brings. Now, we haven't spoken about Calabali here. I thought that Bilal's beginning of summer league, he looked lost in the first game or two. He didn't know what he was doing, like which is fair enough. Like Defensively, I think he still looked good, but offensively, he was just absolutely missing and he just never got the ball. He was never in the right spots. 
Defensively, I think he's going to be really good. Offensively, it's going to be a work in progress, but he did improve as the season went on. Now, as we referenced earlier, you didn't think he was going to be necessarily getting rotation minutes straight away. And I do tend to think that that is going to be an issue because there are other guys ahead of him here. What is the? What do you think the overall hope is for him? Obviously, they targeted him. They moved up in the draft to get him, which you know, if we had spoken about that four months ago, there's no chance he was going in the top 10. What are they expecting? Are they be be our defensive wing guy and whatever you bring offensively is a bonus, or do they see legitimate offensive upside there too? I think long term they want to develop him into a three and D guy. Now they're, they're hoping that his offensive game will kind of come along as, as his career goes. Now, obviously, offensively, you know he needs work. You know, you, you know his shot release has to get faster. You know, they're going to get a hand in your face a lot faster in the NBA than he's used to. So he definitely has to work on a faster release. But you, you, there, there's hope. You know, him driving the lane, um, him pushing the pace and transition. You know, those were that was very impressive in summer league. Uh, defensively, um, a lot of noise around the organization is they love his defensive side. I mean, they really view him as a guy who could potentially be an all defensive guy because if you look at the fact that he has a 17, uh, 17 wingspan. And he's still growing at, you know, 19 years old. Yeah. I mean, he, defensively, you know, the, the rundown blocks, the blocks of steals, defensively, his instincts are on right where you want him to be. It's just, you know, really getting his offensive repertory up and going. But, you know, his shot is not broken. He's just he has to work on a faster release. And he has to learn how to utilize his size. And that's a, that's a, often a struggle with young guys. He's You know, he's got to learn how to utilize his size because, I mean, his, his wingspan is just – He's got an unreal athleticism. So, yeah, yeah. He looks okay. he, look, he looks awesome. Like in terms of body size and defensive stuff, we, we hope he's not. He's. I don't want to bring up too many bad memories. I, we hope he doesn't turn into the next Isaac Bonga, who was a, a wizard legend for a bit of time. Who was a uh, a long a long small forward with some. I've actually got my little uh, my little Isaac Bonga signed rookie card sitting on my on my desk here. Um, he was a, a guy that had that defensive potential whose offense never came around. I Bilal was able to dominate offensively at youth levels. You look at the numbers he put up for that Metropolitan's junior team, the second team, he killed him offensively, passing, scoring, finishing, like everything was awesome. And then he struggled a little bit moving up to the big team, but man, the, the bloke just turned 19. So there is plenty of upside there still with him. Um, all right, here's the, the major question. We know that they fired Tommy Shepard as the GM, they brought in the uh, guys from, formerly from OKC and from the Clippers and, and Michael Winger. How did they convince Ted Leonsis that they needed to to reset this? Well, I mean, the very definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. You know, you can, you can, yeah, he faced a hard choice, which was, you know, we can continue to do the same thing and expect the same results. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is a plan, hopeful team. You know, and then really he listened to the fan base. You know, the fan base is very, very disgruntled at that point because, you know, we watched so many guys get a Supermax contract. You know, Jawan Howard back in the day, you know, Gilbert Arenas, that it didn't end up very well. You know, John Wall, you know, and now Bradley Bill with the Supermax contracts is just you can – something had to be done. So he, they finally hit the reset button. And I think that the course of action they took in this offseason was very impressive because you have three guys in the front office who e- easily could be a GM of their own team. You know, you're bringing in brain trust. And uh, also, you have a situation where, you know, there's brainstorming. You know, it's not just one guy making all the decisions. You know, Tommy Shepard, <laughs> how do I say this? He wasn't the best drafter. And, you know, no, normally no, he, he was not. Oh, he was terrible, man. But then if you look at his trades, you know, that, normally. You know, that was I great. Was a big fan. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I was a big fan of the Daniel Gaffer trade, bringing him over for the Bulls. Mm-hmm. And I think the KP trades were good trades. But 
what ultimately cost him his job was that was the KCP trade to Denver oh, and yeah. Rui Hachimura to the Lakers. Because if you look at the Wizards last year, where where were we hurting? Three point shooting, defense, and bench scoring. And with KCP, you lost a really good three-point shooter and probably your best defender outside of Denny Avia. And then when we traded Rui Hachimura for a bag of chips, you know, we just got rid of our best bench player. So that pretty much just dooms his job right there. Um, no, the, the fan base is very, very, very motivated with this front office because they've made all the right decisions. You know, if you look at the trades they made, I mean, just flipping Chris Paul for Jordan Poole, mm-hmm. which many executives in the league are like, why would you do that? But, I mean, so they're doing all the right things in D.C. right now. Yeah, look, it is a clearly different mindset. And you say that you know doing the same thing over and over again is insanity. Well, I'm glad that Ted was able to snap out of that level of insanity that had plagued him for the last 20 plus years. Where it just, just yeah, we'll just keep trying. You never know. We'll just, you never know. We'll just keep going. Yeah, let's just be okay. Let's be the eight seed. Let's be the eight seed. We'll just, you know, be the eight seed. How about, how about for this year we do something different and be the eight seed? But we flipped out of it. And you know what? They might actually end up being an eight seed if things all go right this season anyway. But obviously, that's not the idea or the plan of what they're trying to do. Again, I think they're going to be better than expected early on. And then I think Winger might say, no, 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 no. See you guys later. And then we'll, we'll, we'll move into that um, rebuild time fully. What about a breakout candidate on this team? Ooh, good question. I think that's an easy question. Um, Denny Avia, I think, is that breakout guy. I think that with this being a contract here, um, he's – didn't play with the, the the Olympics, the FIBA team for um, Team Israel. Uh, there was a minor injury. So they kind of be, said it behooved him to kind of stay stay side and work on his game. And it shows. You know, he's working on that left hand. He's working on the shot, um, which, you know, I get it. You know, if you go off workout videos, you know, Ben Simmons every year, you would think he'd be a sniper because <laughs> every year he's got a video. But and especially with Denny Avial last year working with Drew Hanlon, you're expecting a lot more. But it, he's working his tail off. And – Working, I think, has never been an issue for Denny, you know, and that's why I think he's definitely a breakout candidate. If he can really have a consistent three-point shot in mid-range to accompany that defense, you got a definite diamond in the rough for Denny Avia. I I tend to agree, except, like, I think is a pretty good player. I think that he was sort of screwed over a little bit with the way that he was used last season. He was jerked in and out of lineups when, honestly, we can talk about his perfect fit between Kuzma and Poole which it is, but like he was also a perfect fit between Porzingis and Beal. And they didn't always go that direction. And the only times he really seemed to thrive is when they would at any point put the ball in his hands and let him create for others. And then his minutes would go all over the place and they'd limit his minutes and give them to, to Rui. Then they would say, the only reason we can't give Denny minutes is because Rui's here. So we've traded him away. Then they wouldn't give him minutes. And it was all over the place. And my concern about all that is, is it's the same guy making the minutes decision that's still there in Wes Unsell Jr., who seemed to just not be confident in Denny for whatever reason. Maybe it is the shooting. He's been like a 31% shooter for three straight years. I think he was actually down to 30 this season from three, which is you know, not not an ideal number. But I do agree that he needs to be given this opportunity. He should be given this opportunity. It is a perfect fit next to these guys, and I just want to see it happen. But because Wes is still there, and he was you know that the culprit who was not allowing yeah Denny to get that level of consistency rolling last season I'm a little I'm a little concerned that that may carry over I don't know that it will but I'm a, I'm a little concerned with that what about on the regression side because that's hard to judge I guess because no one's really the same player that was here last season but is there anyone you look on this team that might take a step back from what they did last season man really good question I would have to roll. We, we were talking about him earlier. I would kind of look at Gallinari. You know, you don't know what to expect. Yeah. You know, come on, especially with his age, coming off the ACL injury like that, you really don't know what to expect from him. 
So I think regression-wise, I, I think you're going to see a much older Danilo Gallinari this year. The other thing I'd look at is is Dillon Wright is 31. I thought he was awesome last season. He had that significant ankle injury early in the season, but then came back and was really good. But he also averaged like an insane steal rate, the highest steal rate that he's ever had and was one of the highest rates we've seen really in forever. 3.6 steals per 100 possessions is crazy. And just that that's probably just unlikely to continue. I thought he was super important. I think he's a guy that all contending teams should be going after to fill a backup point guard role. But I'm just worried that maybe, again, they maybe should have tried to pull the trigger on that a little bit earlier because I don't think he could have had a better defensive season than he put together last season. Yeah, I agree. But when it comes to DeLon and Gallinari, I think the important thing is leadership. You know, with yep. a young team, you know, leadership is big, especially with, you know, Denny Avia uh, being a foreign player. Um, having Gallinari, who, you know, is a European player, being there, showing him the ropes, I think it'd be very important because it's tough coming over to, you know, the United States and, and, you know, Denny Avia is famous for saying that, you know, he's been homesick, like, you know, the entire time of D.C. So I think, you know, having a guy who was very successful in the NBA in Gallinari, showing him the ropes, being that guy. Because if you if you saw the relationship between Denny and KP last year, you know, KP was very, very pivotal in leadership and really bringing him along. So I think Gallinari and DeLon both can provide leadership to a young squad. I think that, you know, obviously playing wise. Yeah, I agree. DeLon's going to have slight regression. And Gallinari, you don't know what to expect. But I think with this team, they provide a very important piece, which is leadership. We talked a lot about trades already, but if you had to single out one player, who is the most likely player to be traded? Oh, I'm going to say Shaw Landry Schmidt. You know, he's he's taking up spot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was very – and I think that, you know, really we don't know what's going to happen with Dame Lillard, whether he gets moved, um, James Harden. But I think that if there's a move out there that's going to be made – you know, whether it involves James Harden or Dane Lillard, I'm going to try to get in in that. Because I think there's a report that Miami was interested in Landry Schmidt. So I think Landry Schmidt's that guy because they need to give playing minutes to Bilal and Johnny Davis, and he seems to be that guy that's kind of in the way. So if I'm, if you know, if I'm willing to bet, it's going to be Landry Schmidt. If I had to bet on the player that Wizards fans will turn on the quickest, it's going to be Landry Schmidt as well because he's bad. He just, he sucks so badly. And I, I, He's what's he's on his fifth team in his fifth sixth season or something. He's just really bad. So I can't I cannot wait for Wizards fans to see him up close and see that the uh, he, maybe he changes maybe he does something completely different. I doubt it. Anyway, let's have a look at wins because last season this team had a thirty five and forty seven record. They had a negative one point seven net rating, which is twenty third in the NBA. And FanDuel Sportsbook has come in and said no, they're going to be terrible. Let's set their over under at twenty four and a half. Um, I've got them at 24 and 58. You've got them at 25 and 57. So right around that FanDuel mark. Now, I've been saying this whole time, maybe they're not as bad as we think. Maybe they're not as bad as we think. But they do have so many triggers to make themselves as bad as we think, as we've said. I think they're going to be on a 30-win pace early on, 33-win pace early on. And then I think it does pull back. So we're both going at basically a 10-win regression from last season. For me, in my projections, I think that puts them as the second worst record in the NBA, which is exactly where they want to be, Brandon. Oh, absolutely. We want to be bad this year. Yeah. <laughs> Make no question about it. Um, I think 25 wins, you know, 24 is right around where I think they're going to project. Because if you think about it, it's, it's, it's kind of like before deadline, after deadline. Mm-hmm. You know, before the deadline, they're going to try to showcase these vets. You know, the second half of the year they is all about trying to develop these young guys. You know, they got to develop Bilal and Johnny Davis. So, Well, here's a question for you, Brandon. Last season, we saw the, the, the Blazers and the Pistons just do some epic tank jobs. And I 
think the Pistons might have won one game out of their final 20. How many games do you reckon Washington wins after the trade deadline? Ooh, maybe 10 games. <laughs> uh, no chance. After the tra- If they win two games after the trade deadline, what Kyle Kuzma is going to have a, a, a knee problem for sure. Jordan Poole is going to have something wrong with it. There is no way they – there's no way – look, I guess it depends on where their record is, but – that if they win in over five games after the trade deadline, I will I will absolutely fall over. There is no way there is no way they're going to do that because we teams go unbelievably hard after that. Well, after the All Star break, maybe is more accurate. We yeah, the Pistons went on that epic losing run to get themselves with the odds for the number one pick and not get it. But they there's so many teams that just don't win any games there. So they might bank twenty wins, twenty two wins before the uh, the All Star break, and then and then sort of sit around that mark. I yeah. That's going to be an interesting time. That's when Bilal and Johnny Davis are going to be running 33 minutes a night and putting up numbers as the other guys. Take an early extended vacation because this team is probably the the major team, I think, in the NBA. Outside of Portland, depending on what happens with Dame, but I think Scoop might be able to actually keep them up. But this is the team where I look at and go, yeah, they're at the biggest risk of um, one of those extended losing streaks due to just an unfortunately large injury list that's uh, made up of nebulous injury designations. I reckon they might suffer through some of that at the end of this season. Now, Brandon, it's time for a game. It's time to do some grid work for the Washington Wizards. So we've got the Wizards. The teams that we're comparing or getting the player uh, combinations with are the Spurs, the Bulls, the Nuggets, the Knicks, the Grizzlies. And then the last one is you need a Wizard who had a 100-block season. So the rules are that, of course, it's you can only use the player once in uh, each, each square, so you can't double them up into squares. They've got to have played one game for both teams in that square. The blocks per season, he has to have had 100 blocks in a season while playing for the Wizards. And because there are no rarity scores like the other grid games, because it's just you that's playing it, the way we're able to determine who gets the better score here is I look at the, the players and the games they played for each franchise. I pick the smallest number out of those two, and then I grade all of those smallest numbers against everyone else to give you a score. So if your player you pick has played the most games, you get a score of 100. If he's played the fewest games, you get a score of zero. So someone might have played 300 games for the Wizards and two for the Spurs. That counts as a two. And then we grade that against everyone else. Is that clear? Yes, sir. All right, let's go. Where are we starting? Which combination are we going for here? Ooh, man. I guess we'll roll with the Bulls. All right, Wizards and Bulls. Who are we going for here? Who are you, who are you got in your head that's going to be a good option that's going to give us a, a nice little score? Man, that is a really good question. There's quite a few crossover players that immediately come to mind for me. I've got this in front of me, but do immediately mm. come to mind. But some of them have played quite a few games. Oh, man. I'm trying to think we're, we're picking a player that... um. Because you might have to run, you might have to run, run it by me again. <laughs> so he's, this player has played for the Wizards. And the Bulls in their career. And then you want to okay. find someone who has played the fewest games for either of those teams. It could be, um, yeah, they could have played one game for the Wizards and 300 for the Bulls, but that one game is what we're going to be counting. So you want to find like a, a player who's you know, had some rare moments for either squad there. Oh, so the Bulls, I'm going to roll with uh, Tomas Zadaransky. Tomas Zadaransky is a player that has played for both of these teams. So that's correct. The unfortunate thing for you, Brandon, is he did play quite a few games for the uh, for both franchises. So he's not he's not the highest score there, but it is, is an eighty six point five two. We are looking for lower scores. The highest score actually of the players mm. between playing between the Bulls and the Wizards is Michael Jordan, which 
I didn't. He played 142 games for the Wizards, and obviously he's 900 or so for the Bulls. But that 142 was the highest number. You want to know a funny? Or Daniel Gafford was obviously one in there, but Jer- Jaron Grant was uh, to play for both teams, and he barely played for the Bulls. So he would have been. He played six. Oh, he barely played for the Wizards. He played six games for the Wizards. Jaron Grant. Um, uh, Otto Porter was a name that we could have had there. Bobby Bobby Portis as well with his little uh, 28 game Wizards stint. All right, which team are we going for now? All right, let's roll with the Denver Nuggets. Ooh, okay. All right, what are we what are we looking at here with this one? Ah, uh, let's roll with Ish Smith. Ish Smith is a legend at this game because he played for every team in the NBA, and he <laughs> has did not play very much at all for Denver. So that is a big W for you there. Cause he only played like forty games last season. That is a ten point one two. Ish Smith, so that is a really good score for you, Brandon. The best score you could have got is some bloke by the name of Aaron Williams, who I have legitimately never heard of. Um, yeah, there you go. Well, Ty Lawson would have been an interesting one as well. Oh, nice. Yes, Jan Vesely as well with his 21 game Nuggets career, but maybe that's too painful for Wizards fans <laughs> to, to bring up. What very painful. <laughs> what are we? Uh, what are we looking at next? Which one do you want to go with? Ah, let's roll with the Spurs. The Spurs. Okay. This one, top of my head, I'm struggling with a name for this one. Let me, I do have the list. Let me just go and have a look and see if it is as hard as I think it is. Oh, no, there's a few here. Oh, no, there's, there's a few here for sure. I guess we'll roll uh, Drew Gooden. Ooh, I had dinner next to Drew Gooden while I was in Vegas for Summer League. Sat down. I go, who's this bloke? And then Drew Gooden was there. And then I came in and then Channing Fry came in and sat on the table next to me. That was a pretty weird experience. And Channing Fry and Drew Gooden just spent like 20 minutes talking to each other before they decided they were going to eat. And then they went to separate tables and ate. So yeah, Drew Gooden. That is a 7.41 because Drew Gooden only played 19 games for the Spurs. That's a good pull, Brandon. All right, what are we at next? Uh, Let's roll with... Let's go with the Grizzlies. Let's go with the Grizzlies. Okay. So Tyus Jones does not count because he has not played for the Wizards yet. So who else Who else does then? Oh, that's a, there's a great one in here. All right. Who else have we got? Oh, man. That's a good one. I'm trying to think. Memphis and Washington. Ah, oh, man. There are some really good ones here. I know. I just oh, I can't even think of it. Oh, Memphis. Hmm. Oh, man. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to blank on Memphis, man. Um, this is not... There are some really good names, but this is not easy to find the, the guy who played. Yeah, this is hard, actually. All right, so what, what, what are we thinking? I have... be honest with you, I have no idea. <laughs> All right, so let's... Let's let's give you a little bit of a hint here. Think of a uh, this. There is a, a wizards, an, an actual wizards legend who did uh-huh. play a handful of games for Memphis. You know, he played for the Wizards back in the two thousands. That's mainly where he did most of his damage. Two thousands, early two thousand tens, but he was a legitimately top level player for the Wizards. That's that's, that's one of them. Yep, Gilbert Arenas. Gilbert Arenas did. That is exactly what I was talking about. He played 17 games for Memphis. I had no idea. that that. that I don't remember that happening at all. That's a 19.74 <laughs> score. Some of the other names there. How about, do you remember the two games that Mike Bibby played for uh, for Washington? That's right. Okay. <laughs> that, there was that one. What about Jared Utoff that played three games for Washington and four for Memphis? DeLon Wright was another one on there too. Um, yep. He obviously played in Memphis. Cherokee Parks was on that list. And um, Drew Gooden was also on this list too as was Shelvin Mack. All right, 
so that would bring us to we've got the Knicks or the hundred block season. Ah, uh, let's roll to the hundred block season. All right, so with this one, they have to have blocked a hundred shots in a season for the Wizards, and the best score you get is from getting a player who has played the fewest games for the Wizards in their career. So fewest games for the Wizards in their career. Not fewest games in their career, just fewest games for the Wizards. And that gets you the best score. There are 16 players in Wizards history who have had 100 blocks in Wizards slash Bullets history. 100 blocks in a season. Oh, man. Let's roll with 100 blocks. Brennan Hayward. Brendan Haywood is correct. He did have 100 blocks in a season. Brendan Haywood, unfortunately, played 579 games for the Wizards, so that's a pretty high number. The thing with sometimes with these ones here that are hard to uh, get your head around is that sometimes the obvious answer is the right one because Christos Porzingis played 82 games only for the Wizards. Yes. So that yeah, everyone else had played tons, but there's some good names on here. Marcin Gortat, JaVale McGee, Andre Blatch is there, Chris Webber, George Murasan. Purvis yeah. Allison, Manute Bowl. There's some great names on there. All right, the Knicks is the last one. Oh, this is going to be a good one too. Ah, the Knicks. Ah. All right. Um, man, let me think. Play for the Wizards and the Knicks. Um, wow, there is an absolute unbelievable name on here that I did not know <laughs> at all. Wowee. Man, this is a good one, man. Um, the Knicks. There are two really oh, good, good Oh, here we go. Jared Jeffries. Jared Jeffries is correct. Jared Jeffries did play for both teams. He played quite a bit for both teams, though, but that's okay. We'll put him on as your score there, and then I'll tell you these other names that I was um that I was looking at here with some really interesting uh guys there because uh Trevor Ariza was one of them who played for the Knicks. Yeah. Um he played quite a few games there, but uh, Ron Baker played four games for the Wizards. I didn't remember that happening. Mike Bibby played for the Knicks as well, so he was another option there. But the one that's the one of the best is Daniel House Jr. played one game for the Wizards and one game yeah. for the one game for the Knicks. That is the ultimate crossover. One game for both teams. I do not know that I don't think I've ever seen that a player playing one game for both of those teams. But that's where we are. I've I yeah, I've safe to say I've never seen that. And that Brent will bring us to the end of the show. So thank you for coming on, chatting about the Wizards with me. Tell me what's uh what's going on over at Locked On Wizards at the moment. Oh, we're using exciting season coming up. So uh, this next month, we're going to do a lot of mailbag questions, uh, a lot of hot takes. So, um, you know, definitely send us your best questions. But now, we're, you know, we're looking forward to the season because there's a new era in Wizards basketball. You know, you got a you know, new front office, new coaching staff. So, you know, there's a lot of optimism. So definitely tune in because, you know, it's going to be probably the most easy watchable garbage team in the NBA so <laughs> it's, it's going to be scoring there is going to be a lot of scoring there might not there might be a lot of scoring both ways but there is going to be a lot of scoring and that sometimes can make for interesting stuff especially when it's a bad team Brandon thank you again for coming on yes sir thank you and that will do it for me today don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Stitcher Spotify and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube thumb it up and leave your comments down below guys we are done here thank you so much for listening everyone see ya <laughs>